there. This is Izix uh, flying solo today. Uh, no gap win. It's just me. If you do a little bit of filler for you guys, hope you enjoy. This is basically a uh, a synopsis of a fictional episode of a episode of Star Trek. Um, uh, the series is called Enterprise One. Uh, it's something me and Van Belding have been uh, working on together. And uh, basically, the premise is that uh, each of us have sort of produces a different product um as far as what we post on our channels uh you know i'll put the pitch meeting story meeting sort of stuff he'll do the review of the fictional episode that we talked about and uh as such you know there isn't necessarily going to be an episode uh like that actually exists even in like a, a real loose form like that i'm going to present to you today but i was inspired by our first story meeting and so i decided to write something up and so that's what you're getting today i hope you enjoyed uh, Enterprise 1, uh, Episode 1, Season 1. Um, I don't know it's what we're going to be calling the uh, the exact uh, 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 name for this year. Uh, let's go with, I don't know, um, you know, Ending Yesterday. There we go. That, that's what we're going to go with today. Ending Yesterday. So, it's a two-parter pilot, as a lot of uh, Star Trek uh, pilots are uh, tend to be on the long side, and we're uh, Go ahead and start rolling with that. Part 1 starts out with the Enterprise E over a planet and the iconic Captain's Log. Picard lets us know that they are still in pursuit and that he laments that has come to this. Before we can get a clue as to what he means, we cut to security team checking out a downed shuttlecraft. Riker has a look inside, finds nothing, and then someone calls for his attention. There's someone in a hood running off between the rocks on the alien planet. Yeah, you know, of the week, and uh, from the get go, we uh, you know get this feels that this is somehow fallen into season eight of next gen, maybe at least as far as how everyone looks and acts and all that sort of stuff. And you know, there's not actually season eight, but you know what I mean. The figure runs into a cave, and a short chase sequence later, uh, jumps through some sort of strange doorway, and then vanishes just as Rack and the team arrived. We cut to the robed figure, you know, feast, you know, standing on the far side of the portal. We you know, look around, slowly rising, but not enough to show us the faces of the other two who arrived in the strange room. One of the figures has manacles with broken chains on their ankles and wrists. The third has a very post-Voyager yellow officer's uniform, but torn and burnt. We focus back on the hooded figure. She pulls back her hood, revealing that it is Beverly Crusher. She then expresses hope that uh, they can all work together to solve their mutual problem. So after a flash of the series title and a commercial break, we find ourselves in orbit of the same planet again. But instead of the Enterprise E, it's the Enterprise A, circa Star Trek VI. And given the captain's log is Ahura, uh, yeah, something's a little strange here. They've picked up some strange energy readings over the unexplored planet and have sent down an away team. The team arrives and is headed by Spock, which seems normal enough, but the rest of the team is made up of Chekhov, Harry Kim, Worf, and Savick. Now, clearly something unusual is going on, but all five act as if everything is perfectly normal. Also unusual is that all of them are wearing Enterprise-era uniforms. They find the downed shuttle and start investigating it. Spock notes that it does appear to be a Federation shuttle, but not a design he's familiar with. Kim mentions something about it, reminding him of a prototype he once worked on, while the rest mill about. Savick reminds them of the tachyons, and Spock confirms that the shuttle indeed seems to be dripping with them. Spock calls up to suggest to Uhura that they'll try to retrieve the shuttle for closer analysis. 
Chekhov laments that they don't have transporters quite big enough to pull it up, so someone will have to fly back. He and Kim volunteer, and soon we're back on the Enterprise A. This is where we meet O'Brien, finishing his morning routine and heading out for his shift. He gets only to the first intersection before he finds himself pausing. He stops and glances around at several of the crew around him. I've noticed Sulu, Yar, and both Ezri Dax and Jadzia Dax having a conversation. O'Brien shakes his head and continues on. O'Brien arrives on the bridge just as the shuttle is on approach, and also just in time to see it explode. Ahura has them um, look for survivors, but the news is grim. A shuttle of the occupants seem to be totally vaporized. Ahura orders O'Brien to try to figure out what happens, what happened and uh, to get to work. In sickbay, McCoy is scanning Spock, Worf, and Savick with the help of the Nurse Crusher. They seem to be doing all right, despite McCoy muttering about the amount of unusual radiation they were exposed to. Spock belittles McCoy just as Ensign Kirk comes in to inform them of the shuttle explosion. Despite McCoy's complaints, Spock is quickly on the move. Later, Spock, her and Trip Tucker are meeting with O'Brien, who's going over what he's figured out about the explosion. Despite a mountain of techno-babble, he eventually comes to one clear answer. Sabotage. Ahura presses O'Brien about how Eddie leads, as to who might have fiddled with the strange shuttle's engines, but the best he can offer is that it likely happened before takeoff, so either one of the away team or someone still on the planet was responsible. Spock then points out that, in that case, the investigation should start with the away team members and a more complete search of the planet, and since he'd be a suspect, he shouldn't head up the away team, so Trip volunteers instead. The meeting breaks up, but O'Brien gets Captain Ahura's attention to explain that He's been having some really very weird feelings since they arrived over the planet. O'Brien is at first embarrassed to lid on, but Ahura coaxes him to admit that he's feeling like there's something fundamentally wrong here. That he or some of the others on the ship aren't supposed to be there. Ahura admits to having a bit felt a bit strange herself the last few hours. O'Brien then asks Ahura where Guinan is, and Ahura is quite confused, especially as Brian starts going on about her being the bartender at Ten Forward. Given the Enterprise A doesn't have a 10 forward, Ahura suggests that O'Brien have himself go uh, yeah, check out the, uh, in the sickbay. Trip's on the way to the transporters when he's uh, ambushed by Nurse Crusher. She really wants to go down. Trip explains as per usual, he's taking McCoy. So Crusher points out that McCoy has been complaining about a sore throat, so perhaps she should go instead. Trip jokes about Crusher getting all ambitious or something, but he relents. Soon they, Rand, Anson Odo, and Anson Scotty are beaming down. They start exploring the area around where the shuttle has been. Rand starts picking up some strange readings, and they move to check them out. They're soon at the rock face, where the portal at the start had been. There's Tectobabble banter, but while the rest are distracted, Crusher starts edging towards the rock face. She tricorders opens the portal, and it starts towards it. Odo shapeshifts his way into stopping her, her just shy of the portal. It closes, and Crusher cries out in frustration. Trip starts to press her for answers, but she is being quiet other than accusing them of interfering. Trip calls up and soon her is asking McCoy about why Crusher went down to the planet. McCoy is answering while in sickbay is scanning O'Brien. McCoy claims that Crusher had told him that Trip had requested her. Confusion persists, but soon O'Brien is asking the idle question of maybe she has whatever he has. But there's no one there to answer his question. Hmm. As O'Brien is now in a heavily damaged Voyager sickbay. Alarms start blaring and he starts looking around. He finds Dr. Phlox to the floor, quite dead. Moments later, Ensign Kim comes in, followed by wounded and, you know, by, by other wounded uh, crew members, and looks at O'Brien to ask what happened to Phlox. Soon, 
Kim is activating EAH, and a scene very similar to the opening scene of Caretaker takes place, complete with the doctor asking for a medical tricorder. Kim then presses O'Brien as to why he's not engineering, given that there was reports of a possible core breach in progress. <gasps> in engineering, Captain Sisko is working with LaForge and Commander Janeway to fix the breach in progress. The breach is about outfixed when O'Brien hurries in. Sisko is pissed as to why O'Brien is not was not at its post. O'Brien explains that there is something seriously wrong going on. Janeway then suddenly starts looking nervous. Everyone catches on and asks her what's up. But as nothing proceeds to happen, she tries to shake off the feeling, and an attention returns to O'Brien. Sisko finishes dressing him down, and then tells them to report to their stations as he returns to the bridge. Sisko and Janeway arrive on the bridge. Also, there's Tuvok and Sulu, and lots of things sparking all over the place. Tuvok reports that they appear to be in orbit of an unknown planet, and this region of space appears to be awash in tachyons. Also, lots of people are dead, and there's heavy damage to all the things. Ensign Kim arrives on the bridge with young Lieutenant Beverly Crusher and crew in Nog. As Kim gets to work and Nog works to check some systems, Crusher asks Sisko if she can volunteer in sickbay, given Phlox was killed and all. Sisko looks at her in confusion and points out that he wasn't aware that she had any medical training. She insists that she has from previous studies before Starfleet. Sisko relents and tells her to work at the EMH to handle the casualties. In engineering, O'Brien and LaForge are bickering about something or other, but LaForge defers to O'Brien. After all, he is the chief engineer. He looks at his officer Pips in surprise. LaForge asks O'Brien if there's something wrong, and O'Brien lets on that he could have sworn that only a few minutes ago he was on a completely different ship. What in he was familiar with, but was certainly not Voyager, and that Sisko wasn't the captain, and there was a Vulcan first officer, and there had been two teams down the planet already. LaForge lets on that he wasn't aware that they were in orbit of planets, everyone's still in crisis mode. O'Brien tells LaForge that he's going to go to sickbay because he's now damn sure something is up. Kim reports to Sisko about what he's picking up. He seems befuddled by what all is going on and can't seem to make sense of the readings. Sisko then poses that they send someone down to the planet to search for the source of the tachyons, where that it does, you know, that something goes go on, on again and might kill them all. Janeway and Tuvok head off to go do uh, take care of all that business. O'Brien arrives in sickbay to find Crusher helping the EMH tend to the wounded. The EMH triages him quickly and tells him to leave. And O'Brien is about, you know, to when he looks to Crusher. He approaches her and asks her if she's been feeling anything strange. She looks at him sheepishly and denies feeling weird and begs him to leave so they can continue helping people with, the, you know, without him distracting them. O'Brien then insists, pointing out that whatever is affecting him and her might be, you know, a danger to the ship and they need to figure out what's going on. The EMH asks for Lieutenant Kara, who only has superficial burns to her shoulder, to escort O'Brien out. But before O'Brien gets very far, Crusher attacks him with a hypospray. There's a struggle and soon Crusher is herself got with a sedative. The MH points out that her hypo was filled with something quite toxic that would have killed O'Brien nearly instantly. O'Brien and the EMH agree that he should perhaps mention this to the captain, ASAP. Jane Wally, Tuvok, Savik, Chapel, and Ensign Chakotay beam down back onto the planet. The spot where the shuttle has been is filled with debris, and they quickly figure out that it appears to have been a Federation shuttle that was partially vaporized, but that the reading suggests a very limited antimatter explosion, but slightly too small to have been a warp core breach. Huh. They start scouting around. O'Brien arrives on the bridge. Sisko is irate, but O'Brien pushes hard to have a private conversation as Lieutenant Crusher just attacked him, and he has an idea as to why. 
In the ready room, O'Brien lets on about his unusual experiences. Sisko listens and then admits that he too has been having trouble focusing. O'Brien asks him about Guinan, but still no luck there. And then he asks Sisko about what he's doing uh, before he was uh, assigned to Voyager. Sisko explains he was commander of DS9, and that when the chance to command Voyager came up, and you know, he was selected, despite his own objections, to lead on that uh, the first mission of the ship. But on the condition that O'Brien tagged along, he accepted. O'Brien then presses about some of the details, like why Kira is Starfleet and not the Bajoran militia, or why Data opted to stop being an officer so he could serve as Tuvok's security team uh, members, or as, as one of Tuvok's security team members. Sisko is highly confused, but admits that something about these realities seems off to him. O'Brien then suggests that Crusher might have something to do with this, given he had overheard her doing something strange on the planet below. Sisko gets up and goes to the bridge. He calls up for the away team to report, but there's no answer. After a little banter about how the uh, scans don't seem to be doing anything good for him, for uh, you know, good, don't seem to be doing any good for or, uh, you know, Lieutenant Kim, he, we cut to the planet. Janeway is lying on her back with a smoldering bird on her stomach. Nearby, we can see Chakotay shot in the back, apparent over to Tuvok, who's similarly quite dead, and finally Chapel, who is uh, barely hanging out in there as Sisko calls down to them. She eventually manages to tap her con badge and get it out just three words. We were attacked. And then Chapel is shot again by a phaser. We pan and see that Savik is holding that phaser. Dun, dun, dun. And that's the end of part one of our pilot episode. Hmm. Part two, after uh, a little on last time on Enterprise One, has us joining with the Defiant, already in orbit of the planet. And Riker is giving the long explanation how they were uh, they showed up here looking for a new base of operations when they encountered a very unusual anomaly on the planet. When we cut to the bridge, we find ourselves with not Will Riker, but A. Riker. This is Thomas Riker, a duplicate of the commander from an episode of TNG. Filling out the bridge are others dressed in ruffian outfits, including Jacote, Roe, Paris, Ezri Dax, and Chekhov. After the usual, we're uh, at a planet looking at stuff. Chakotay complains that they should just move on, that this is, isn't a suitable base, so why, you know, why, why not just ignore it? Riker nods and agrees, and or is that they leave orbit and prepares to go to war. The Defiant starts to break orbit when there's an explosion on the side of the ship. It sends the ship tumbling towards the planet, ending our teaser. Back on the bridge, there's lots of shouting and demanding reports, but it's no good. They're going down if they don't do something. In engineering, Torres is shouting at O'Brien to stop fiddling with systems and um, help with the engines. He shouts back that he's trying to save their lives and to let him work. She drops, and then she, what she's doing, and goes to, uh, up to punch him uh, you know, a whole lot when uh, you know, he does something and suddenly the stop, ship stops shaking and they're all, they're all saved. Riker calls down to tell Torres good job on whatever they did, but she admits that it was O'Brien who pulled something off. O'Brien explains something about adjusting the power balance and the plasma manifolds or something. She looks at him all confused. Riker points out that O'Brien isn't even supposed to be working engineering. He's, you know, there to shoot things after all. Torres then says that perhaps he's the one who caused the accident. Oh no! O'Brien gets testy and asks if there's a Beverly Crusher aboard. And if there is, she's perhaps the saboteur. Torres uh, passes this on to Riker, who then tells Chakotay to look at for Crusher, but then, then tells Torres to secure O'Brien anyway, just to be sure. Chakotay finds Crusher helping another of the Maquis, Harry Kim, with his burns not so far from the damaged areas. Chakotay tells her to come with him. She objects as she you know, is escorted away at phaser point. 
Sood and Crusher and O'Brien are sharing a cell with Chakotay and a very angry-looking Picard with an eye patch watching over them. Chakotay demands to know what's going on, so O'Brien starts to explain badly that there's something wrong with the planet that's changing reality in the area, and for some reason he and Crusher are affected by it differently. O'Brien pleads that not long ago the ship hadn't been the Defiant, but Voyager, and before that it was the Enterprise A. He was familiar with all three ships, but how he was, you know, you know, it wasn't how he came to be there in two different ways, and you know, as I said, he's explaining it badly. Naturally, Chicote and Picard don't believe a word of this word salad, and just kind of don't believe him. Crusher then looks at O'Brien and asks them if the reason she's there is O'Brien. Hmm. Yeah, he did kind of finger her and all in all this. They relent to the obvious, let her go on, uh, while telling O'Brien that they'll be looking into the accident, and if he's responsible, the airlock isn't so far away. Crusher immediately finds Savick, who is surprised to see her. They duck into a corner to whisper about how something is clearly interfering with the device. Savick mentions that it can't be the shuttle, and is now destroyed, and, you know, and you know, across multiple time spans. So that just leaves the ship in orbit, and that there always seems to be you know, a ship in orbit, and they always seem to be tied to it somehow. Crusher lets on that O'Brien suspects herself, but seems unaware of anyone else. Savak also mentions that she caused the explosion to prevent them from leaving orbit before they could go back down again, but that if they do any basic investigating, they'll figure out it was her, so they gotta hurry up and try again. Crusher suggests that one of them caused a distraction, and hopefully one of them can beam down and another hit the warp core at the same exact time hopefully destroying the ship to keep it from interfering with the next try. Savick isn't happy with this plan, but promises to pass it on. Before they part, Savick asks Crusher why she's trying to change history. Crusher looks at, at her with sad eyes and mentions that maybe if her husband hadn't died, her son wouldn't have become a vegetable after a few too many trips into the far end of subspace. Savick admits that she was in on a plan to start a war with the Klingons, she had been brought in by her friend Valeris to help with some minor aspects of the plan and to take her spot if needed. But the plan fell apart and Savick attempted to flee, eventually ending up in a Romulan prison for a few years until her escape. Crusher asks Savick if he told her about why he wanted to change, but she doesn't know. Jokote arrives at O'Brien's cell again with Spock, informing O'Brien that Spock is going to uh, you know, do a little bit of mind mail to figure out if O'Brien is a friend or a foe of the Maquis. Or maybe just insane. O'Brien eagerly consents, and soon has Spock's hands on his face. Spock pulls back in stoic shock. Seems O'Brien at least thinks he's telling the truth. Just then, the ship is rocked by another explosion. Chakotay looks to O'Brien, and that's, you know, okay, might as well look, and uh, tells him, you know, go return to your post. And tells Spock to find Crusher and check her out too, and if she refuses, to shoot her. As Chakotay goes into the hallway, and after a turn, has Savick, you know, runs right into him, giving him a quick glance before hurrying off. Chakotay pauses and looks over his shoulder at her. He tells her to stop, but she pulls her phaser and guns him down. O'Brien hears the phaser blast not far off and starts rushing. Savick arrives at engineering and starts gunning down people. She goes to a console and starts poking buttons. O'Brien pops in, rolls, grabs a phaser from a dead archer, and soon they're exchanging fire. That's uh, Captain Archer from uh, Enterprise, but now just kind of a random Maquis here. Uh, <laughs> Spock finds Picard kneeling over a dead crusher. Uh, Picard is misty-eyed. Spock yes, you know, inquires, and Picard explains that he spot her setting the charge to blow off the starboard phaser bank. 
He tried to stop her, but he was too late. And as she wasn't interested in giving up, he shot her. Spock calls up the bridge to report what happened. Riker answers back that he's having trouble finding, uh, you know, uh, getting in contact with Chocote and Torres. So he should probably go check engineering because, you know. O'Brien is shot in the arm and finds himself hiding from Savick, while her attention is divided between watching the console and making sure O'Brien doesn't pop out to shoot her again. Spock comes in and she points the phaser at him. Spock is unarmed and raises his hands. He begs Savick to end this peacefully. He says that to do so would be logical. There's some good banter about how Spock having been her mentor and that if he hadn't joined in the Maquis, she wouldn't have been, been, the, you know, been there as well. So he's responsible for her fate here. She shoots back that he doesn't understand that she must fix an error in her own logic for the good of all, but explained it would be pointless as she has no basis you know, for, you know, he has no basis for understanding her particular situation. Spock lets on that he knows that there's some time weirdness and that he suspects the longer this goes on, the more you know, everyone will become aware of it. After all, he's starting to feel it too. Something blinks to the console she's been monitoring. Spock takes this opportunity to rush her. There's a struggle as she barely avoids getting phasered to death by O'Brien. O'Brien pokes his head out and raises up to shoot uh, Savick. Uh, you know, if she you know, somehow banishes the best Spock, several doors open up and a rush a collection of badass folk, you know, including Worf, Yar, Kira, Tuvok, and uh, Kirk, who all demand Savik surrender. She does. Spock takes the phaser from her. Savik then starts to spark slightly. O'Brien then realizes he's in the transporter room with the Enterprise D. He immediately calls up to the bridge and says, hey, there's something up. On the bridge is Captain Joy, First Officer Pulaski, Scotty at the helm, Kess at Ops, and Paris at Tactical. He reports that you know, there's a you know some sort of time anomaly and that Crusher and Savick need to be located and contained as soon as possible. Troy asks for clarification, including which Crusher. Before O'Brien can answer, the door or the transport room open up, and in walks Kirk, Cisco, Beverly Crusher, Savick, Data, and Kim. O'Brien tells them to grab Crusher and Savick after an argument and a better explanation that he you know, than he was able to provide previously, including O'Brien mentioning the. Uh, Intense tachyon field around the planet before low to help, you know, draw uh, draw the circles all together. Ensign Cisco urges Lieutenant Commander er, Kirk to maybe listen to him about this, as you know he's never known the chief to make things up. Soon a ton of people, a whole ton of people, are in the conference room going over what the heck is going on. O'Brien lays out that Crush and Savick are somehow the only ones other than himself who seem to be able to retain most of the memories between continuity jumps. Troy hears about and says she believes him. So we'll have Crusher and Savick confined to quarters, but the plan to investigate the planet will proceed, but the answer is probably down there. Some of the others start to mention that they've been feeling a general sense of unease since their arrival. Kirk mentions feeling like he's been in a firefight. Scotty feels like he's been to the surface before. Dr. Bashir mentions feeling like he woke up on Deep Space Nine this morning, despite not being on DS9 or anywhere near there. And Kim mentions feeling like he exploded. Troy presses O'Brien as to why he might be unaffected. His best guess is that he has vague memories of having been on most of the ships he's, you know, you know, they've been on so far. He remembers being on, you know, on that day, and the one he, you know, the one ship he hasn't been on, well, it was the one he had studied in great detail when he was at school. He then jokes that he expected to be on the Rutledge or even the original Enterprise if there's another time jump. O'Brien requests to go down to the on the next away mission. And soon he, Kirk, Cisco, Data, Kim, and Chapel are beaming down. Chapel mentions having a very uncomfortable feeling as they walk by the still mostly destroyed shuttle. 
After some scanning, O'Brien mentions to Kim that he exploded that shuttle in a previous iteration. Kim seems more annoyed than put off by this. Back on the Enterprise D, Samick manages to, manages to knock out Nog and Rand, who are guarding her and hurries off somewhere. Back on the planet, everyone's spreading out you know, to do their scans. You know, uh, when we see Kim get a call from Savick, she shuffles off a bit. You know, from, you know, he shuffles off a bit from the rest before answering. Savick tells him that she's sending him a gadget to let him stay, uh, stay where he's at on the next final time jump. It materializes nearby, and he slaps the you know the cool ass armband on. On the Enterprise D, Wesley comes into Beverly's quarters. She, he, he's a little confused, but she's delighted to see him. He asks her what's going on. She smiles at him and explains she is from another timeline where he has been brain dead, drained, or something like that, and that she has you know found a device that could alter the flow of time. And she and the two others were attempting to use it to under, you know undo things in the past in order to make their present better. She suspected. They were uh, all from different times, but only knows why Savick is doing it as well. Of herself, of course. Wesley pleads with her to come clean. She relents and mentions that it was Harry Kim was who was the third on the scheme. On the planet, not so long after Troy calls down to tell uh, Kirk to find Kim, uh, we find, uh, uh, you know, excuse me. Um, of course, Kim is nowhere to be found. Uh, O'Brien gets frustrated and tells Kirk that if yeah, Kim is on in on this thing. They need to stop him before he changes reality again. There's a bit of a chasing and uh, searching, and eventually O'Brien finds Kim about to enter the portal. He pulls the phaser, but Kim jumps through. O'Brien and Sisko follow, but the others are cut off. On the other side, Kim is standing by the device. He tells them not to move or he'll activate it. But he's clearly stalling for time. Banter starts, and O'Brien finally presses Kim as to why. Kim steers and explains that he came from a timeline where he and the you know, where the Borg were in the process of finishing off the Federation. And this was the last option to fix all of that. And to a degree, he's been successful. But the timeline doesn't make any sense anymore, and he's trying to get back to one that's not so different from the one he came from. Perhaps one where he, you know, he had been on Voyager, you know, when they went off on a fateful uh, uh, voyage into the unknown and helped prevent it from going missing and maybe just maybe been instrumental in turning back the Borg at some point or perhaps some other things or maybe one of them has been you know had been successful doing it you know whatever uh, <laughs> and that they were uh, you know both alive during this time period and you know, maybe O'Brien was able to take care of it and could have you know done amazing things to improve the future but he won't stop until things are set right which he, he can't do you know just yet. He even throws in that he hadn't really been exploded previously, but Chekhov was, you know, yeah, you know, Chekhov was, and uh, you know, he was still alive. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, then Savick uh, calls down to Kim to let him know that the warp core will breach in the sixty seconds. O'Brien then realizes uh, that uh, this is uh, what Kim was waiting for. He lifts his face to start to fire, but in the moment the beam hits Harry, he hits the device and it starts to activate, and also gets kind of hit by the phaser as well. Kim, stunned but not unconscious, laughs until he notices the device is sparking oddly. O'Brien blinks and is in the captain's chair of the NX-01 Enterprise, wearing something suggestive of the DS9-era uniforms, but with some near-universe bit of symbology to everything. It's a little creepy. Wasting no time, he tells Paul to go to Red Alert. She's confused for a moment, and but activates tactical alert. He then orders that the shuttles be secured and the transporter be locked down. And finally, to locate uh, Crusher, Kim, and Ambassador Savick, and to bring them to the bridge. Yar gets to rounding up to the suspects, but pauses and asks 
who Kim is. O'Brien looks at, at her with concern. He then tells Jadzia Dax to open up a channel to the planet below. He calls for Hen Harry Kim to re responds. Kim says, you know, he's not letting anyone in until either they leave the system or the ship is destroyed. O'Brien says he can't do that and breaks into a speech about how, you know, Kim might be regretting his past, but in the end, that's, you know, they are all seeing, you know, seeking to better themselves and who they are now is really what matters. You know, the, the, the complications and madness of the, you know, what was, was, it's gone now and they kind of have to figure out how to move forward. And that, you know, Kim has already been kind of successful in his mission. The Borg are unheard of in this timeline. Kim shouts he needs to, you know, fix things still, but then eventually relents. He starts to take off his armband, but then looks at the device and notices it is, you know, starting to boot up. All on its own! Oh no! He tells O'Brien this, and O'Brien calls to beam Kim up, but that can't. He's apparently too far down, and also the transporter was just locked down, etc., etc., and firing at the planet won't do much either. Kim can't figure out how to stop it, and his phaser was taken in in the last time shift, so he's kind of out of options. T'Pol floats Operation Kamikaze uh, as a way to destroy the device. O'Brien, you know, orders you know Mayweather to take the ship down at maximum impulse. However, she looks concerned, and they start her down. Savick and Crusher are brought to the bridge, and O'Brien tells them, you know, you know, that sometimes you can't fix the past, but you can make the right choice to go forward with. Uh, the device activates the NX-01, changes to a runabout, and then the Rutledge, then a Dominion warship, in quickening succession. There's a few more quick changes until finally the ship becomes Deep Space Nine in total, right before impact. The episode ends with Captain Kirk aboard the Enterprise NCC-1701, giving a captain's log about their routine mapping mission going well and the crew experiencing some very unusual discrepancies in their memories. We cut to O'Brien getting checked out by Lieutenant Junior Grade Bashir as Chief Medical Officer Beverly Crusher, Crusher stands nearby you know, amusedly, chiding him about not trusting her. O'Brien does point out that she did try to kill him at least once. Paris and Pulaski are arguing about something in the background as Kess and Chapel get some work done. Bashir is still skeptical that at this weird memories you know, that they have are not super real, maybe, but that they'll need to come to terms with all this all the same, to perhaps rediscover who they really are. Kirk comes in overhearing this last bit of the exchange and jokes about their whole mission being one of discovery. O'Brien disagrees, but then suggests that even if it was all, you know, all, you know, everything that they experienced was totally real, then perhaps these other things that, you know, that they experience are both matter in terms of their memories, but don't matter as far as how they go with the future. Who they are matters. But, you know, that's, yeah, you know, who you are is the lesson of the, of the episode, if it was obvious. Crusher then agrees and mentions, lamenting how she may have acted and when she had, was so grief-stricken. And, you know, she's kind of sorry about that. Cut to uh, Junior Tech Savick, Lieutenant Kim, and Spock having a discussion. This is a relatively young Spock and older Kim than we'd seen previously. Spock and Savick are pressing Kim about the timeline. He lets on that... He became a shuttle design engineer and had a long life, happy with his wife Libby. But then the board came. Libby was assimilated and the Federation ravaged. There were several attempts made to alter it at the end of the timeline. Once it was all clear, victory was impossible. But his attempt appeared to have been the only one largely successful. He and Savick both mentioned regretting their rash actions, especially going for a complete alteration after the first one didn't quite work as expected. Spock assured them that they 
will no doubt have many more chances to learn from their mistakes, which is good and quite logical. The final scene in the pilot features Beverly and Wesley talking in the corner of the dining hall, but the focus is on Worf, Sulu, and EMH talking about their recent experiences and if they really ha really did happen. Worf complains about the you know the trio who caused the trouble, getting the you know slaps at the wrist for all they did. Sulu chides him about these alternative events maybe not having happened at all, and after all, they're still quite alive. EMH then also suggests that maybe this is a fresh start for all of them, that maybe this is an opportunity. He remembers several iterations of himself being a doctor confined to, you know, only special emergencies on the sickbay. Yeah, and it kind of sucked since he didn't exist most of the time. He's happy being a mission specialist, able to go about with his mobile projector. So maybe the trio did, you know, them all favor, even if their quest for a perfect outcome was perhaps a little misguided. Worf looks over to the door just as Jadzia uh, Dax comes in. Worf then grunts out a non-committal agreement that maybe this is for the best. The Enterprise flies away from the planet, which now has a massive crater in it that wasn't there before. The end. I hope you enjoyed this little bit of fanfic uh, craziness here uh, of my synopsis uh, of uh, the Enterprise 1 pilot episode. Now, uh, Van Velding has, uh, you know, d had his own interpretation after our, our pitch story meeting thing. And so uh, you can find on his channel, uh, on the YouTubes, uh, at some point, his, you know, review of that, of this non-existent episode for a non-existent series. Um, but otherwise, I hope you enjoyed. And uh, this was at least, at the very least, amusing and also fun in an insane sort of way. Um, I know I use that word a little bit too flippantly here, but it, I, you know, this is, this is, this is crazy fun. It's, yeah. So I, I'm going to be, I'm going to go with it. Um, so until next time, everybody, I hope you enjoy and, um, you know, and check out the, uh, you know, other episodes of Watch Yourself tomorrow. And uh, I'll be back soon enough with uh, more. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, have uh, perhaps some updates on what's going on as far as uh, the next season of Watchers of Tomorrow.